This morning's message comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 33b, second half of verse 33. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 33b to verse 35. And the title for this morning's message is Gender Roles Matter to God. And the Word of God says, As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Join me in prayer. Our gracious God, Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray that as we prepare to walk through this passage of Scripture, that... uh, Create so much controversy in today's world and in our modern churches, but yet is still so applicable, Lord God, for we know that your word never becomes outdated. It never becomes obsolete. We can never outlive the usefulness of your word, and it is trustworthy and true and infallible. And so we pray that you would help us to understand your word rightly and to apply it rightly. We pray that you would enable us to do this by the power of your Holy Spirit, that we would not do as so many do and find extremes. On the one hand, this passage no longer applies and may not even be original to the text. And on the other hand, using it as a way of abusing women in the church. And Father, we pray that you would help us to understand your mind, the mind of God, our Father, the mind of Christ, the mind of the Holy Spirit who moved Paul to write these words, Lord God. We pray these things in Christ's precious and holy name. Amen. So last week... I pointed out that in verses 26 to 40, Paul was going to do, is going to do, three things. Number one, he's going to regulate how tongues and prophecy are to be used in corporate worship, and that is what we looked at last week. Secondly, he's going to regulate the extent to which women may participate in corporate worship, and that's what we'll look at this morning And then finally, next week, he's going to remind the church where he gets his authority to do so. In other words, Paul anticipates the question, Paul, where do you get off writing these sort of things? And so Paul is going to address that anticipated response next week in the passage that we'll look at there, verses 36 to 40. And so picking up with what Paul has just said in verse 3, for rather verse 33, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. Paul is picking up on that. That 
That is the connection between the prior section <clears throat> and the section that we're going to look at this morning and looking forward to how he's going to end this section in verse 40. But all things should be done decently and in order. Here, Paul now wants to regulate the extent to which women may participate in worship because God is a God of peace. He is not a God of confusion and all things should be done in corporate worship decently and in order. Now, undoubtedly, for many inside and outside the church, this can be a very touchy subject that we will be talking about this morning. Uh, this is often viewed as the, the third rail of ministry. If you want to tank your ministry, preach on a passage like this. Because people often wonder, is this necessary in our modern enlightened era? I mean, with the passing of the 19th Amendment, which was ratified in 1920, given, giving women the right to vote, post-second wave feminist movement of the 1960s and the 1970s, which furthered the idea that women have absolute equal rights and equal standing with men, haven't we moved past this? I mean, do we really need to talk about subjects like this. We now live in an enlightened era, right? We live in an era where we've come to realize that women are not only equal with men in every way, but they have surpassed equality with men to the extent that we can no longer even define what a woman is. They've just gone beyond And so to deal with a text like this, in an age like this, at best is offensive and at worst is paleolithic. It's just simply proof that we have outlived the Bible. We've outlived the usefulness of Scripture. It's really archaic, many would argue. But to that, I would say that we can no more outlive the usefulness of God's word than we can outlive the usefulness of God. Because God, God is there, and God is not silent, as Francis Schaeffer rightly said. God still speaks to us today in real time through the pages of Scripture. Because the Bible is not just a record of what God has spoken. The Bible is God speaking to us in the here and now through the power of his Holy Spirit. And our responsibility is simply to ask the question, what does God desire of us? What does this God want from us? The one who created us and created all things. We may not like what God says. We may disagree with it. With it. it may rub us the wrong way. 
But as the Apostle Paul rightly said in Romans 9, Who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Shall the thing that is molded say to the Creator, Why have you made me like this? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. Shall the thing molded say to its Creator, Why have you made me like this? Why have you made me a woman? Why did you make me a man? Why did you place me in this culture, in this generation, in this nation? We are in no position to question God. God is the creator and the sustainer of all that exists, and our only role is to worship and obey what God has said. Thus, this is what our Maker commands regarding the church. As in all the churches of the saints, Paul begins. And let me just pause there for a moment and quickly point out that there is a little bit of debate as to whether or not this clause should go at the end of verse 33 or should it begin verse 34? In other words, because remember in the Greek, there is no punctuation in the original Greek. No, no commas, no periods. Um, in fact, no spaces. If you look at uh, a picture of an original Greek manuscript, all the letters just run together. And so, should the text say, For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Period. Or is it, as we see in the ESV, as in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches? I do think that it should, I think the ESV has it right. I think it should go at the beginning of verse 34, because to place it at the end of verse 33 would seem superfluous. Because if it is to read, for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints, would seem to indicate that there may have been some in the church in Corinth that thought that God was not a God of confusion in some of the churches. He was not a God of peace in some of the churches. And so Paul is reaffirming that, no, he's a God of peace in all of the churches, and he is not a God of confusion in any of the churches. That just doesn't seem to make sense. Thus, it would make better sense that this phrase actually begins what Paul is saying in verse 34. In other words, Paul wants him to know that what he is saying in verses 34 and 35 should apply in all of God's churches, and that this is what Paul teaches in all of God's churches, it's not just a church in Corinth. He is being consistent wherever he goes. I think this because Paul has used this phrase once before, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17. There, Paul writes, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all of the churches. In all of the churches. So Paul is telling them here, look, this applies to everyone. Don't think I'm just 
picking on the church in Corinth. Second, I want to quickly point out, because you may come across this in writing somewhere, there is some dispute as to whether or not verses 34 and 35 are even original. This is because in some of our Greek manuscripts that have been discovered, verses 34 and 35 appear after verse 40. Here in the text that you are looking at, Verses 34 and 35 appear after verse 33. So the question is, does this even belong here? Some have argued, <clears throat> and I'm, I'm just going to go out and just say it, the liberal theologians have argued, those who want to espouse egalitarian views, have argued that this is not original to Paul's writing that very likely was written in one of the, as a marginal note in one of the ancient manuscripts that we no longer have, and in time, some scribe decided to insert it into the manuscript, and some of them inserted it after verse 40, and some of them inserted it after verse 33. Therefore, they will argue that clearly this is not original, this is not Paul's thought, and we can just simply ignore this altogether. There's a couple of problems with that theory, however, and that's number one is this, is that these verses appear in every Greek manuscript that we have. There isn't one Greek manuscript that does not have these verses. That's number one. Number two, if you're going to posit a theory like that, which is all they're doing, then a more likely theory is that Paul himself wrote these verses into the marginal note of his original manuscript. Because remember that in the first century world, there were no word processors. Once you've written an entire manuscript, right, with ink on papyrus paper that rolls out and you realize afterward, oh, I should have inserted something, there's no copy and paste. There's no inserting it here. So it's more likely that Paul himself wrote it in the margin, mailed it out, and later scribes inserted that either at the end of verse 40 or at the end of verse 33. But every Greek manuscript we have has these two verses. So I uh, stand with those who argue that it is original. And this is the inerrant word of God, and this is what God desires. So then, what is it that Paul teaches in all of the churches of God? He says, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. So what does Paul mean by this. I mean, are women not allowed to say anything? Just as soon as they walk through the door, they're in church. Silence. Zip. Not a word. Women are to be seen, not heard. I don't think that that's what Paul means. And the reason I don't think that that's what he means, because Paul clearly does not believe that women cannot speak in church. And we know this from 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 4 and 5. 
Remember that I said previously that chapters 11, 12, 13, and 14 all have to do with corporate worship, how we behave within corporate worship when we gather on the Lord's Day. And there, Paul clearly states that women may pray or prophesy in church so long as they have their heads covered. Now, we can debate the head covering issue all day long, but what is clear, what is clear is that women may pray or prophesy in church so long as they have their heads covered. So there's an important rule of hermeneutics. Number one is that we interpret the less clear text in light of the clearer ones. This one is a little challenging. What does he mean that they are not permitted, that they must keep silent in all the churches? Yet Paul is clear in 1 Corinthians 11 verses 4 and 5. So then we have to ask the question, then, what does he mean when he says women should keep silent in the churches? Because that has to mean something. He doesn't mean they can't talk at all. We know that from chapter 11 that they may. So what does Paul mean by this? Well, here's a second important hermeneutical rule. Context is key, right? Context is key. Remember that in the previous section, he gave them... Uh, principles on how to regulate tongues and prophecy. And one of the things he says regarding prophecy in verse 29, he says, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. Let the others weigh what is said. The others meaning the rest of the church. So that when someone prophesies in church or someone speaks in tongues and then someone else interprets what that person is saying, that amounts to a form of prophecy because it's a revelation from God the Holy Spirit is speaking through this person to some degree speaking in tongues someone else interprets that has to be judged whether or not it is biblical the church has to make a determination whether what that person is saying aligns with scripture and then there has to be a public correction of some to some degree this of course would amount to a form of teaching or correcting within the church for someone anyone to say wait a minute what you just said doesn't jive with this and here's why now we're engaging in a form of public teaching public correcting from scripture this would contradict what Paul has clearly stated elsewhere regarding corporate worship. 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul writes this to Timothy, who is pastoring the church in Ephesus. Verse 11, let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. So he's saying there basically the same thing that he is saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let a woman learn quietly with all submissiveness. In other words, this doesn't mean that women cannot teach at all. We'll talk about that in a minute. But what he explains is that they cannot teach men and they cannot have authority over men. He goes on to say in verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. 
She cannot teach a man scripture. We're not talking about algebra or geometry or biology. She cannot teach a man scripture, nor can she have authority within the church, within the home as well, but we get that from other passages like Ephesians 5, within the church over a man. Why? It has nothing to do with the inadequacy of women. I want to be clear about that. Women are made equally in the image of God, fully in the image of God. Paul himself gives us the two reasons. Verse 13, for man was formed first and then Eve. Paul talks about that back in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you'll remember back there. He says in verses 8 to 10, For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. That is why a wife ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. And so the first reason that Paul gives that a woman may not teach Scripture to men or have authority over them is because Adam, man, was created in the position of authority. That was the responsibility and the role that was given to the man to teach the woman God's Word, what God has said, and to protect the woman as well. The second reason that Paul gives, he says, and Adam was not deceived first. We can insert that is what he means. Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. In other words, it's culpability. Paul says she gave in first and listened to the serpent when she shouldn't have. Regardless of Adam's culpability in all of this, she should have listened to what God said. She should have listened to what her husband clearly had told her, and yet she did not. She is more culpable than Adam, or at least her culpability falls with her first and then second with Adam. So those are the reasons that Paul gives. It has nothing to do with level of intelligence. It has nothing to do with value. It has nothing to do with capability, the ability to teach God's word. Because again, as I've already said, none of this means that women cannot teach the Bible. They can teach the Bible, and in fact, they should teach the Bible under certain conditions and with certain limitations that Scripture places upon them. Titus chapter 2, Paul says this, and here again, context, he's writing to the pastor in Crete. Titus is pastoring the church in Crete. It is a single pastor-led church at this point. At the beginning of the chapter, he gives his instructions that he has to appoint additional elders. But then Paul writes to him and says this in Titus 2.3, Old women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanders or slaves to much wine. They, the older women, are to teach what is good and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. In other words, Paul himself limits women's teaching to practical theology. 
specifically pertaining to domestic matters of hearth and home. Because at the end of the day, you cannot teach a woman rightly how to love her husband and children apart from Scripture. You cannot teach a young woman how to be self-controlled, how to be pure, how to be submissive to her husband and working at home apart from Scripture. Women can and should teach the Bible where necessary. But Paul limits their area of theology to practical theology having to do with the home, marriage, and parenting. Thus, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, for someone to prophesy and then for a woman to publicly correct that prophecy using Scripture again would amount to public teaching, the teaching of God's Word. And Paul clearly has stated that cannot happen. So I think that's what Paul means when he says the women should keep silent in the churches for they are not permitted to speak but should be in submission as the law also says. Now, there's an interesting reason that Paul gives. He says, as the law also says. A lot of ink has been spilt over this quote in theological journals uh, because what law is Paul referring to? What law in the Old Testament is, does Paul have in mind? What does he mean by this? Because there is no explicit Old Testament law which states this. First of all, keep in mind that law in the mind of Paul is not always a reference to the Decalogue. It's also not always a reference to the Pentateuchal law, meaning Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. We saw that in verse 21. Earlier on, Paul says, In the law it is written by people of a strange tongue, and by lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. There he's citing from Isaiah, which comes from the prophets. But yet Paul references it as the law. So in the mind of Paul, the law can be the Decalogue. It can be the Pentateuch. It can sometimes just be some portion of the Old Testament. But again, what does Paul mean when he says, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission as the law also says? Again, I think context is very helpful here. All of this, these four chapters, chapters 11, 12, 13, and 14, this is all one topic in the mind of Paul. Thus, I think Paul is alluding back to what I've already cited earlier. At the very beginning of this discussion on how we should behave, how women should behave in corporate worship, he says, for man was not made from woman, but woman from man. He reminds them of the created order. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. In other words, he reminds them of the fact that the man was created in the role of leadership. And the woman was created in a submissive role to learn from her husband. So Paul, I think, is referencing that. 
The man was created to be the spiritual leader, the spiritual teacher, and the spiritual protector for the woman. This is why women are not permitted to teach scripture to men or to have authority over them because that is not their role. That is the role given to men. Once again, not that there's anything wrong with women or that they are incapable of studying a scripture and understanding it rightly, but Paul does not want the men to shirk their responsibilities. I think this has more to do with men than it does with women. Men are far too easy to step aside and just let the women do it. Makes it easier for me. Let them disciple the kids. Let them do family worship. Let them study scripture. And I'll just kind of sit back and let them do all the work. Within the family, within the church, and within corporate worship, listen, men should be the ones who lead and teach within the family, within the church, and within corporate worship. Not exclusively, but certainly they should do the lion's share of teaching and leading and organizing and ministering, not women. Too many churches have just turned this upside down, haven't they? We've got it backwards. This is why Paul then adds in verse 35. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. Why? For, because it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. You need to understand as we look at this text, I mean, what does Paul mean by this? If they have a question, you know, they, can't, they can't ask anything. What, you know, how does this pertain today and why would he write this? Because when we think of church, we tend to think of a setting very similar to this. But in the New Testament church, they did church much in the way that we would think of a home church, right? They were house churches. As far as we know, the first actual church building that was built exclusively just for the saints gathering and worshiping um, isn't done until about the third century. But prior to that, the saints just gathered in someone's home. If there was a wealthy member with a large home, then they would gather in their home, and that's where they did church. Now, even though they did home church for the first two or three hundred years of the church, it was still reverent and godly, and it was done in a very orderly fashion. In our modern context, we think of home church, and we tend to think of people you know, sitting around in their pajamas and fuzzy slippers taking the Lord's Supper. Right? That's, church was a reverent thing from uh, the very beginning. Uh, in fact, I posted a quote, something to that effect, by um, Clement of Alexandria that was speaking to that effect. Clement of Alexandria uh, lived uh, in the uh, uh, first, or rather the early second century, and as far as we know, was actually discipled uh, directly under the original, uh, some of the original apostles. And he argues that church ought to be done uh, with the highest of reverence. And of course, he would have had in mind a home church of that ex- to, that ex- to that extent. 
But the point is that here, in the first century world, when they gathered for church, there was a greater opportunity to ask questions during the service, to, to possibly ask the, the elder or the shepherd to, uh, to clarify uh, what he was teaching or to ask questions about a prophecy that had, that had been given. Well, what does that mean? And I'm not sure that that's right. And in this kind of a setting, there may have been some women who may have been more disruptive or argumentative than other women in the church. Imagine that, if you will. Or they may have tried using the opportunity to ask a question in order to teach God's Word. Right? You may have heard questions like that. You know what I'm talking about. You know, Pastor, I just have a, a quick question about what you just said. You, you were talking about the, the, the doctrine of justification by faith alone, and, and I'm just trying to understand, I mean, isn't it so that the doctrine of justification by faith alone came about because Christ, in his incarnate form, lived a perfect life of obedience to the law and thereby fulfilling what the first Adam could not do on our behalf? And the moment we put faith in Christ, by means of our union with Christ, we are imputed, credited with Christ's righteousness, coming from the Greek word logizomai from Romans chapter 4, if I'm understanding that right. And we are credited with his imputed righteousness and therefore declared not guilty before the judge of all the universe. I mean, am I right in understanding that? Yes, and thank you, Susan, for that miniature dissertation on the doctrine of justification by faith alone. And so Paul says, women, if, they, if there is anything that they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Because in doing this, when he says, for it is shameful, in doing this, they can easily bring shame upon their authority figure. And in the first century world, that would have either been the woman's husband or her father. Because they did not live in a world where, daughter, you're 18, it's time for you to go off to college and you know, figure out how to live on your own. Get an apartment, go, go do something, but you, you got to go. I'm not supporting you anymore. Daughters lived at home until the fathers could legitimately and comfortably hand them over to the care of another man who would then care for them and teach them and disciple them and shepherd them. So they were always under the authority figure of either their husband or their father, and they could easily bring shame upon their husband or their father by asking that sort of a question where they're really just using it as an opportunity to to. to to share their theological knowledge with everyone in the room or to ask something like, well, wait a minute. I mean, I thought, I thought Jesus had two persons and two natures. I mean, that is right, isn't it, honey? <laughs> Seriously? And so Paul writes, if there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. Because it is shameful, or it can be shameful, for a woman to speak in church.
Women, women need to be careful not to violate what Paul is saying inadvertently, is Paul's point. Or to say something that her or her husband may later regret. This means, men, that you need to be studying your Bibles. Because Scripture says that if she has a question, you're the one that she should go to. What did the pastor mean by this on the drive home? Did you hear what he said? What did he mean by that? Is he right? She should be going to her spiritual leader about questions or concerns of something that she has heard or seen conducted in church. So with this, let me close by offering some guidance, some practical guidance on this matter. Because I know some women may think, yeah, but I know what my husband's going to say. I don't know. So what do I do with that? Simply this, this is what I think Paul is getting at. When a woman has a question about something that was said or done in church, number one, she should first ask her authority figure. Either in church, right after the service, or on the way home, ask her authority figure, what did he mean by that, or why did we do that? Why all of a sudden we're using leavened bread instead of unleavened bread? Is that biblical? Should we be doing that? Why was the grape juice now wine and not just grape juice? What is going on? Those are questions that should be taken to him. If he doesn't know the answer to that question, number one, I would encourage the men to take some time to figure it out. Study the Bible. Be able to say to your wife, I don't know the answer to that, but give me a few days and I'll get back with you with an answer. I will study scripture and figure out what this means. Minimally, if you're wanting to come to me, then talk to your husband first. And ask. Yeah, I'm going to say that. Ask. Can I go ask him this question? I'm concerned about what he said. I'm confused. Can I go ask him? And if the answer is yes, I expect the men to be there with me, with, with the wife. So oftentimes I have had women come to me after the service and ask me a question. What did you mean by this? You said this. I don't understand. Help me understand. And I answer the question, but I'll be honest, I'm always thinking at the back of my mind, where is your husband? Because either he knows the answer, and if he does, then I don't know why you're asking me. Or he doesn't know the answer, and if he doesn't, why is he not here learning as well? Unless, of course, the idea is, you go figure it out, honey, and then teach me later what he said. In the end, the point that Paul is making abundantly clear is that men should be doing the lion's share of the ministering within the church. Men should be doing the lion's share of the teaching, the singing, the leading, the organizing, the ministering. Within the home, within the church, within corporate worship, minimally, here's what this passage is telling us, gender roles matter to God. 
Gender roles matter to God. We may not understand it. We may not understand fully why. We may not like it. But that's not our prerogative. Our role is simply to seek to obey God, to glorify God, to love God, and to honor God with all that we do and say in the home, in the church, and within corporate worship. Because God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace. And he demands that all things should be done in corporate worship decently and in order. And because the church is God's church, he gets to decide what decently ordered looks like, not us. Let's pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, Lord, we recognize that these are weighty, these are weighty words, not only for the women, but for the men, who for so many generations have abdicated their God-given role to lead. And so, Father, we pray that you would enable all of us to humbly submit to your word. For the women who are listening here this morning or maybe will listen to this message online, we pray that you would enable them to receive the role that you have created for them, not because it is a degrading role or a second-class role. It is a valuable and important role, and it is one that has been given exclusively to women. We also pray for the men who are and will be hearing this message. Father, we pray that you would give us the courage, the boldness, the strength, the desire to step up and lead, to lead our families, to lead the charge, to lead from the front, to spend copious amounts of time in God's word, copious amounts of time in prayer, to lead our families by example, to strive to do our best to be able to say to our families and to the women and children in church, this is what Christ-like character looks like. We pray that you would give all of the men in this church and all of the men who are listening that greater desire and zeal. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.